You're listening to episode 11 of Fed Talks with Jimmy Chrisman. Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. such a good boyfriend. (laughs) As a graduate of Carnegie Mellon University, I am so proud to support my alma mater and serve as one of the judges for the Excellence in Theater Education Award. As Peter shared, the quality of the entries exceeded all expectations. They came from nearly every state in the country, from cities and towns far and wide, and they had one thing in common. Each teacher had changed the lives of their students in remarkable and momentous ways. You just saw finalists Marianne Adams from the Grand Street Theater School in Helena, Montana, and Donald Hicken from the Baltimore School for the Arts in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, it is my great pleasure and honor to introduce a history maker, the first ever winner of the Excellence in Theater Education Award presented by Carnegie Mellon University and the Tony Awards from Charlotte, North Carolina's Northwest School of the Arts, teacher Corey Mitchell. Thank you all. I don't accept this just for me. I accept this on the behalf of every theater teacher and every young student out there who aspires to this stage and to Broadway. I am overwhelmed and so appreciative. Thank you to Carnegie Mellon University. Thank you to the Broadway League. And thank you to the American Theater Wing. You have been extraordinary and I appreciate it. I could not do this without thanking my own teachers, Debbie Miller, Terry Rogers, and my hero, Mr. Lou Criscola. And finally, I have to say this. Thank you for legitimizing us. Theater education matters, and art matters, and we thank you. Good night. Welcome to Fed Talks this week. This is a very special episode that I have for you. It's leading up to the Tony Awards this Sunday. I am excited to welcome my guest, the very first Tony Award for the Excellence in Theater Education Award winner, Corey Mitchell, to the episode this week. I am excited for you to hear my conversation with him. Um, it was funny, it was inspiring, and I hope it's just what you need as we move into the summer as you relax and prepare for next school year. This is the fifth year that they will be giving the award away, and Corey was the first winner in 2015. I've had the distinct privilege and honor of knowing Corey for many, many years, since um, my very first years of teaching in Charlotte, and uh, he and I were colleagues in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, and I've been able to witness all the amazing things he's done with his students there and the amazing staff there at Northwest School of the Arts. Um, So I... The night that this award was given away, I was sitting at home and I watched uh, the Tonys that night and I just felt such immense pride for not only my friend Corey, but for our profession as a whole. I think it's truly amazing that Carnegie Mellon, the American Theater Wing, and the Broadway League have all seen fit to recognize the hard work of all of our theater educators by giving this award out. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm not going to hold this up. Please enjoy my conversation with Tony award-winning theater educator, Corey Mitchell. Well, I am extremely excited to talk to a friend and colleague for a very long time and 
I can, as of four years ago, I believe, I can now say Tony winner, Corey Mitchell. He teaches at Northwest School of the Arts in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and he was the inaugural 2015 Tony Award for Excellence in Theater Education winner. So, Corey, welcome to Fed Talks. Tell me a little bit about where you are and uh, what you're doing at Northwest and kind of how, how things go there and kind of what led you to where you are now. I teach at Northwest School of the Arts. This is my I'm coming into the end of my 18th year here. And prior to teaching in Charlotte, I lived and taught in Wilmington. But oddly enough, I started my career, my teaching career, teaching English. And when I went to college, I always I went there on a teaching fellow scholarship. And the intent was always to be a theater ed major. I don't know a whole lot of people who, when they graduate from high school at the ripe old age of 17, says, hey, I'm going to teach theater. But that's kind of, that's literally what happened. I was under the influence of my high school theater teacher. Her name was Debbie Miller. And she was just an amazing, amazing person and helped to inform so many of the things that I made as my life decision. And luckily, I was hired into CMS uh, to teach at Northwest. So the things that I teach there are musical theater, and we actually have four levels on the high school um, level of uh, teaching musical theater, one, two, three, and four, or as I call it, beginning, intermediate, proficient, and advanced. And when we do that, we teach dance, we teach music, and I teach acting through that class and all of that through the lens of, of musical theater. And in addition, I teach one seventh grade class, and I'll explain that in a second, and directing for the stage, as well as an acting three class or proficient that I use Uta Hagen and 20th and 21st century American playwrights as the centerpiece for that class. So, what's Northwest? I'll tell you. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> <laughs> Northwest School of the Arts is the uh, performing arts magnet school for Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools. We are an audition only program. We have no athletics, no sports, and pretty much all of the extracurricular activities as well as, you know, the other courses that the students take are related to the arts. So kids come and they major in art, dance, music, either choral, orchestral, or band music, or piano, the piano majors, career tech ed, as far as particularly costume and clothing design. And in theater, they can look at, they can take one of three tracks, either technical theater, musical theater, or straight acting. So we are sixth through 12th grade. The kids come in and we have a number of students who start with us and are educated with us through all seven years. And there is both a middle school musical program as well as a high school musical theater program. We participate in most all of the things that um, are out there in the world for as far as like slam poetry, thespians. We do North Carolina Theater Conference as well, um, as, well as the Bloomy Awards. Um, what, are you, what are you all currently working on or did you just finish something for, for the Bloomies? We just finished, we closed Freaky Friday in April, and that was our Bloomy show. Um, it's, at this point, there are currently eight nominations that are on. Well, congratulations yeah. with your nominations. But thank you. It, um, you know, it was, it was pretty good. We shall see how that goes. The funny thing is, for us, is I... And I know I'm going to sound like a jerk when I say it, but uh, hear me out and let me explain the caveats. Is that I think that with us, we're rarely competing against other schools. It is 
what we're able to do and how that kind of fits into what people think of that is our potential as being a performing arts school as well as having whatever the, the uh, perception may be that people may have of me for being a Tony winner and that sort of thing. And so when I talk to my students about the Bloomies and talk to them about performing, it's never in terms of insert name of other school. It is in terms of what is your potential and what do you do and how do you bring those things to the table to make manifest because you can never predict what the outcome will be when a judge or an adjudicator comes to watch the work that you do. You can only be in charge of what it is that you bring to the table and the gifts that you bear with um, this entire production. And fortunately, it has worn itself out pretty well. So and that's where that falls. Yeah, I um, I, I I keep up with you and, and what you all do. Um, my one of my best friends is uh, one of your colleagues there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I I know what your philosophy has been for years, and so I appreciate mm-hmm. hearing that because that's always what I told my students: is we're just going to put the best of what we can do out there, mm-hmm. and, and if we've done that, then we should be very proud of that, mm-hmm. despite what that adjudicator's opinion will be when they leave. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. You, I, I did not know you were a teaching fellow. I was, yes. I was from the second class ever of teaching fellows because for the high school graduating class, the first year of teaching fellows was 1987. I graduated high school in 1988. So I am one of the, um, among the originals, or as we call them, the OTs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, so when I, I went to UNC Wilmington and I went and with the intent that essentially they told me kind of design my own program and then getting towards my junior year, they said, we can't let you do that anymore. We're going to have to do some things and shift you around and see what happens. And I said, well, I really want to be a theater teacher. And so I had actually left school for a year because I worked on cruise ships. I um, was a cruise ship entertainer. And when I returned the next year, I was going to transfer to UNC Greensboro. And I had gotten to Greensboro. I had an apartment. I had all of those things in line. And for some weird reason, I was there for three days. Classes hadn't even started. And I said, my heart is still in Wilmington. So I gave up the apartment. Fortunately, it was so close to the beginning of the school year that I gave up the apartment and they let me do that. They didn't, the complex didn't hold me hostage with that (laughs) because there were so many other students who they knew that they could immediately rent it. And I went back to Wilmington And that's where I finished my college career and was a theater major. I mean, excuse me, was an English major. But my first school was uh, Laney High School. And while I was teaching there English, I became friends with the choir teacher, the chorus teacher, Greg. And they had two theater teachers there. And Greg said, I want to do a musical. And I'm like, you got two theater teachers. What are you talking about? It's like, they don't do musicals. And so it was crazy. I directed one of the first musicals at this high school that had been done in years, years with the chorus teacher. We did Damn Yankees. (laughs) And that's kind of where things sort of started with me working with high schoolers and directing because I was still performing and um, going out on auditions and doing things around in the city and doing things both on stage and a couple of things on film. So how do you navigate the middle school and high school and, and, 
all that goes along with that. Secretly drink at school. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though. Um, The middle school program. The middle school program has always been, and it was really funny, my first year of teaching at Northwest, the principal said to me, um, at the time, it was, his name was Charles Laborde. It's, it still is Charles. But Charles said to me, next year, we're going to start a $1 million renovation on the auditorium. And also next year, we're going to begin phasing out the middle school program. So we're not going to have any more sixth graders. And then the next year, we're not going to, get, we're not going to have seventh graders. And then the next year, we're going to go to eighth grade. And then we'll phase it out. And the thing was, it took 16 years before the renovation occurred with the auditorium, and we still haven't phased out the middle school. So it's always just been a part of the fabric of the school and what we do. And all of us, all of us within the theater department at Northwest have high school as well as middle school classes. And a part of that comes from this philosophy of being able to have variety with the teachers and um, understanding different experiences. And what we believe is that once you're out in the world and you're auditioning in community theater and professional theater and college theater, is that you're going to experience different directors and different teachers in different ways. And so if we can sort of give you a little bit of that conservatory feel while you're in middle and high school, I we believe that it would serve the students better. So there are mornings, I at this point I only have one, and there are mornings when I think, I wish, I wish, I wish I could plant a bomb under all of their chairs and watch them blow up. <laughs> That is very rare. Okay. I have, I've seen several of of your shows over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, And I, I know you have had numerous students come out and go on to have um, wonderful success as Mm -hmm. theater artists, uh, professional theater artists. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of my, my very favorite productions that I've, I saw at Northwest was uh, your production of The Color Purple. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience in that show? Um, uh, kind of where that led you? You know, um, to get to that point with the color purple, I almost have to go backwards just a little bit because way back in the day, I remember maybe 2004 was my first time ever going to the International Despian Festival in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I remember going and thinking like we had taken a contingency of students and those kids, as we were watching, kept going, Mr. Mitchell, why can't we take a show there? Our shows are just as good. We need to bring a show to Nebraska. And it was something that really did implant in me way back then that I would like to do that. I would love to someday make that trek because there are there were some schools that really have become legendary for the way that they produce and a couple of years later i was there in nebraska and i was talking with a um, representative from theatrical rights and i was kind of telling him about our program and he says you know we've got some shows coming down the road that you might be interested in and the first show that he mentioned to me was Monty Python's Spamalot. And I'm like, eh, I know there are a lot of people that are Anglophiles and like I laugh at Monty Python, but sometimes maybe I'm not the guy that gets it. And he said, well, we're also working on Color Purple and we hope to sign that. And I said, if you get that, I'm 100% interested because that story influences of what that was on my young life. I can remember being in 10th grade 
sitting in anatomy physiology with my textbook up and a copy of the novel inside reading that book. And of course, you know, Oprah and Whoopi and Danny Glover and all of those who are in the movie. And in high school, I was in this organization called 4-H. I had so many friends from Union County that were extras in the movie. So it's just been a part of my fabric for so many years. And in 2012, Charlotte was hosting the Democratic National Convention. And our principal said that he was contacted by someone who said, hey, we want you to put together something to perform for the convention as entertainment. And that's when I called, um, I called up Jim at Theatrical Rights and I said, this is the time. Please, please, please tell me that we can make it available. And he said, well, I have to move some things around and I have to get some permission, but not only can I do that, I do believe I can make you, you guys can be the first high school in the country to do it. That was really special. And they had sent a non-equity tour through Charlotte. And I don't know why, but I was just really bold. And I called up the producers on that and said, hey, we have the potential to be the, la the first high school in the country to do it. And the producers actually invited five of us to come to see the show. And we did a backstage tour of it. And in my thank you note to them for letting us come and see it and let me refamiliarize myself with the show, I said, so what happened with the set now? And they said, the tour is over. It's gone into a warehouse in West Virginia. And I said, do you think you could let us use it? And he said, not for free, but <laughs> I went about um, renting. So it really did become a very special show because in renting that set and getting them to pull it out of that warehouse in West Virginia, where it would have otherwise just gone unseen, we were able to do that. We talked for a long time about I had the right kids in the right time with the right people cooperating to help to make that happen. And, you know, there are some, every once in a while, there are those moments mm -hmm. that gather. And Color Purple was definitely one of those, uh, one of those moments because, and in talking about that, a couple of years before we did this production of Music Man and I had this high concept that failed in a number of ways. <laughs> <laughs> music Man, I mean, failed, failed. But one of the things in the Music Man, while I love the show, at the very end of the show, you know, there's this big chase scene with Harold Hill where he's trying to get out of town and all the townspeople are looking for him. And you know, when you have, what, four wings and how many different places can you hide someone on stage and how much of a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, can you get chase scenes when you don't have a lot of doors to go in and out? And so I had this idea that I wanted to film the chase scene to look like an old Keystone Cops movie. Our booster president introduced me to this woman named jo uh, Joanne Hawk. And Joanne was a local director and had a um, production company called Emotion Arts. And she actually filmed this two minute chase scene for us for our production of Music Man. That was one of the things that was a success. And as we were planning Color Purple, I said, you know, Joanne, I have this idea because I'm about to try something that can either be hugely successful or an absolute epic fail. But either way, it could be, it should be a pretty interesting story. And that's 
was the first thought about Purple Dreams. We met over at Amelie's over in Noda and sat down around uh, cups of coffee and started brainstorming and talking about things. And as we were talking, more and more of my students were telling me about how many, how much of their lives parallel the lives of these characters in the color purple. And the more we talked, the more we realized there really is an interesting story here. And as a result, they followed us through auditions. They documented the auditions. They did the um, first rehearsals, following us through the production. And then when we had it adjudicated for Nebraska, they even went with us. And it just became bigger and bigger and bigger as we um, kept planning. And it really was beautiful. We got to Nebraska. I took 125 students and faculty and volunteers with us to Lincoln, Nebraska, when we descended that city. And we put on a main stage that was unlike anything that I had ever seen before and that the students had ever seen because of the ambition of it. We used the national tour set, which had 14 flies in it. <laughs> and all of the sets and everything. And there were something like, like 31 costume changes and things for some of those actors. So it was really fantastic. But I'll tell you that some of the things that it yielded out of that class of students. Like Philip Johnson, who was our Harpo. Philip is now in New York. He went to Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. He auditioned for them when he was in Nebraska, or we were doing pur uh, Purple. And he never would have gone to Nebraska had it not been for that. And, you know, his last show was Hamilton in Chicago, where he was the swing, he, you know, he was a part, had his regular track, but he also would swing in and play Alexander Hamilton in the show. It was Mackay Lee, who is now doing Safe Word off-Broadway and went to School of the Arts and went full circle by doing the national tour of Color Purple. That was his first job out of college. Jordan Medley, who was my stage manager on it, who now has his own dance company and would not have gone to college had it not been for Color Purple. And he went to UNCSA. Cervantre Booker went to UNCSA and is in New York performing now and is most recently with Alvin Ailey there. Ariel Blake, who just booked a Netflix series and is an actress and went to UNCSA. She was our squeak. Um, I could keep going and going and going. And, you know, Eva Noblezada was not in the show, but she was in the same class with those guys. And they were all sort of pushing towards their own excellence. And, you know, you see the success that Eva's had now. And just yesterday, what day before yesterday, a second Tony nomination for uh -huh. the musical. So that big gamble that we took has paid off in dividends that I never, ever expected. And Emotion Arts had become Greyhawk Films. And now, you know, for people that are interested in seeing it, if you wanted to contact a woman named Robin Gray, there is a, um, if you look on just about any of the social media platforms, there's an organization called Arts and Powers, or you can look up Purple Dreams and contact Robin for access to that film. Well, I, like I said, I remember sitting and watching it and and come intermission hitting and I, I i i found matt and i was like this is not a high school production this is <laughs> this is very special um mm -hmm. the the young lady who was uh Seeley, um mm -hmm. I, I saw i saw fantasia in it on broadway 
and mm-hmm. I saw I've, I've seen Cynthia Erivo um, in mm-hmm. the Bible, and I I put your young woman right up there with those two. It was oh, the production God. was so beautiful, and and they they tackled it. It was so honest, and I didn't for once think these were high schoolers who didn't get what they were doing. You know, a part of it I think came from a the way that we rehearsed it because we really had to I kind of had to thread a needle because there aren't a whole lot of high schools that have a diverse group of students you know and I I know that I'm putting a caveat on but there are some high schools that are predominantly African-American high schools that have where they know that the population of students that would be performing in those shows, the population of students that would come to see that show would be primarily African-American. There are schools that are like in Texas and California and things like that, that are primarily Latino or Latinx population that they can do something that is that specified. At Northwest, we run the gamut for both socioeconomic students as well as um, ethnicity and sexuality. And so to do a show that was so specifically targeted as an almost completely 100% African-American cast that is at that size and that scope, we were threading a needle. And I let the students know just about every day what a special opportunity they have, what a special place that they are in to be the first ones to tackle this and to do it in a way, in a place where nobody is expecting this to come from. And they definitely rose to that challenge that I laid down that gauntlet that I laid down for them and they met it and then exceeded that expectation and then by the time we got to Lincoln with the show we exploded that exploit that expectation so I was very proud as you should be talk to me a little bit about your uh, your acting and directing experience outside of what you're doing in the classroom with your students it's been a couple of years since um, I've done some onstage um, work. I think the last musical that I did was Annie and Renee Rapp, who has now graduated high school and is starting her professional career. I think she told me she was in the fourth grade. <laughs> so, <laughs> but... I am really fortunate that um, I've been able to not only direct at Northwest, but to get out in the community and direct locally. So when I first started, of course, I was a performer and I was a part of the um, acting corps with Opera House Theater Company that I did all through college and the beginning, you know, when I lived in Wilmington. And I love that because being on stage and doing some of the roles that I've just been really fortunate with, like um, playing Simon in Jesus Christ Superstar or playing the Black Brother. (laughs) You know, you always got to get a Black Brother to sing Benjamin Calypso. But, um, oh no, not he. Um, Anyway, having some unusual challenges like um, playing one of the generals in Evita or playing Sancho Panza in Man of La Mancha. And then when I came to Charlotte, I was still performing and still in a performance mode. And the very first show that I was able to do was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum where I was uh, hysterium. And when people ask me, and they're off, they often ask me what would bring me back to the stage, I would love to do Forum one more time and play Pseudolus. I, I just think that's one of my dream roles. But now that we're in the 
Me Too movement. I don't know if anyone's going to do forum ever again, but I love it, but it does objectify. Let's see. Um, and then I've been fortunate to start directing, and I actually have shows coming up now, but I'll be directing Hair for Hickory Community Theater and Aquila and the Bee for Children's Theater. That's, that's going to be my first endeavor with them. And I'll finish out the season for Theater Charlotte next year with Dream Girls. And I've had a very good relationship with Theater Charlotte because earlier this year I did, uh, I directed Ain't Misbehaving mm-hmm. and the young lady that you were referencing from Color Purple, uh, Keston, did the Nell Carter track. And it's been a couple of years since she's been in high school, but that girl still got it. She is so charismatic and so alive on stage and so charming and can break your heart with just a couple of phrases because her mean to me, I would set beside Nell Carter myself. And Nell is my heart. I love her. So (laughs) that's saying a lot. Let's see, Sister Act that I directed for CP Summer Theater, a Chicago for Davidson. So there have been a number of opportunities. And one of my favorite things has been a collaboration that I've had for the past few years with my friend Coilus Hayes for CPCC of uh, directing. We've done, I think, four or five of the shows that are in the um, Century Cycle from August Wilson, because with the piano lesson, Fences, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, My Rainey's Black Bottom. And it's really been fun to get in and um, collaborate with Coilus and to work with her on one of our great American and not just African-American treasures mm-hmm. of the theater. So that's been really fantastic. I have to talk to you about your experience with winning that Tony. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of what that was like and <laughs> what doors that opened for you. First of all, it was absolutely surreal that entire weekend. It was surreal watching it. I just want you to know that. And mm-hmm. I had never been more proud of a colleague and our profession than I was that night when I watched you get that. It was, it was so crazy because I can remember the year before in 2014, it was 2014, yeah, when Billy Porter, watching the Tonys and Billy Porter going on and saying that next year they're going to have this new award. And I put on Facebook that night, I want to win that teacher Tony. And sometimes they say you speak it into existence. I didn't really believe that. But there were some great things that came together with that. One of my, one of our alumni from Northwest, a young man named James Kennedy, who I respect as an artist in so, so many ways, and who is someone that I used to take with me to Nebraska, and we would always sit beside each other. And as we're watching the shows, I would say, okay, so what's wrong with that? Okay, what, are they, what, should, what should have happened here? What do you like about that? And we've become a sane brain. But he wrote eloquent, eloquent letters as a recommendation. The um, production team from Purple Dreams put together a nomination video that I, if it wasn't me, I wouldn't believe that that person existed with the way that they did that. And out of the thousands of people that submitted, I don't know how it is that it was me. And going up that weekend was this crazy balance of like ridiculous and sublime. (laughs) You know, 
an example of that was having the opportunity was like going to the red carpet because they had my tickets they had the pass to get to the red carpet and i remember going out and talking to them at the hotel and saying i'd like to order a town car to take me over to radio city and literally the guy in front said why do you want a limo like you can just walk up it's just you just go up the street here and you go there and you go i'm like but i'm going to be on the red carpet i i don't want to just walk They're like well you can catch a cab go to the end of the block here and catch a cab <laughs> I'm like, but I really want a town car. And he like literally would not order one for me. <laughs> so I went to the end of the block. James was actually with me that evening because I said, hey, you wrote the letter and come with me and, and experience this because he is a composer and a playwright and a director. And I said, I want you to meet the people who are going to be your peers in a couple of years. And he was brilliant. I used to call him my compass when he was in high school and he helped me to navigate in so many ways that evening. But we walked to the end of the block, we hailed a cab and I was looking for like a night, uh, something fancy to try to hail and I put my arm up and a Prius stopped. So we got into the Prius. He drove us over to Radio City and I said, okay, Put this in the window because I need you to drive over here to where they let you off. And he was like, oh, no, 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 that's only where the limos go. And I said, I know, put this <laughs> in the window. He was like, I cannot go back there. You're not, I'm not permitted. And I went, no, put this in the window and they'll let you through. He literally refused, stopped the car. <laughs> and so I got out. um, I told the filmmakers because actually the people from Purple Dreams followed, you know, went to the Tonys as well. And that's like this postscript for the documentary. And you see me in the documentary, it's like, hi, I'm Corey. I'm standing across the street from Radio City Music Hall and about to go in. I did that not because that's where we plan to meet, but that's where the cab let me off and <laughs> refused to take me the rest of the way. <laughs> so we walked this long block and the filmmakers are following me walking this long block and every, you know, the people are lined up to see people go down the red carpet. So I walk all the way down to the opposite end and people are kind of cheering. They're like, who is that? Why is he being filmed? That's crazy. <laughs> and then I turn the circle to walk down the red carpet. So um, I was a sweaty mess. <laughs> but it was fun. And I think it was just the right thing that's like, oh, I'm big. I'm like, no, I'm walking. <laughs> so, <laughs> but honestly... That was um, backstage. There were all of these parties. Like there are things that people don't really know that happen. One is Radio City has all these meeting rooms. And so there are private parties that are happening all over in the theater that are apart from where, you know, like what you see on the broadcast or you're walking into the theater itself. So I went to a couple of private parties then they like took me backstage and they were like, well, just sit in here, you can hang. And they had the best spread of food I had ever seen. And at first I'm just sitting in there by myself. And then uh, Dulé Hill comes in from, he's on Suits now and used to be on that show Psych. He came in and he sat down and you know we're kind of chatting and I stuck my foot in my mouth when I said, you know, I used to love your work when you were on the Cosby show. And he was like, that's not me. And I'm like, <laughs> what? He was like, no, everybody thinks I played Kenny on the Cosby show. That wasn't me. Not Kenny. Um, Bud. The one, remember Rudy's boyfriend? is like, Bud. I do, yeah. Bud. He was like, that wasn't me. And I was like, ugh. And so he kind of stopped talking. And then, <laughs> 
Perry Connick Jr. came in and sat down, and then Deborah Messing came in and sat down, and then Jim Parsons came in and sat down. And like, I'm like, wow, I thought of that line from Sweet Charity, the only person in this room that I've never heard of is me. And so <laughs> that was cool. And then I had to go to the bathroom. There was this bathroom backstage, one, and everybody had to line up. And so as I'm lining up to go to the bathroom, the person that was in front of me was Sting. And so it was this single little toilet room. So he came out and I walked in and I just touched the toilet. Cause I'm like, he's here. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was a great weekend. As I said, that was like sublime. Cause like I'm there amongst these people and they're just regular folk. Like Deborah was not happy because her dress was tight. And she was like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, Ding was going to shake my hand after he came out of the bathroom. And I didn't because I'm like, did you wash? But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was great. What so, happened the afterwards? Thing, the best part about all of that, other than telling these crazy stories, which are, are fantastic, all 100% true, is. I've had the wonderful opportunity to do something through Purple Dreams and through the Tony Awards that I think is really, really serious, which is the opportunity to talk about the importance of arts education. And, you know, I know that I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, the arts are what saved me when I felt like I was drowning in a sea of being anonymous and misunderstood when I was in high school. It was my time playing with the pep band or being on stage in drama or singing with Northside singers or with our chamber choir. Those were the things that I went to school for. Those were the things that helped to sustain me. But those are also tend to be the things that are the most fragile when it comes to our educational system and that are, are the things that are used as the biggest pawns for as punishment for students or the mediocrity of things and like the lack of investment in those things that I think are the most critical, some of the most critical aspects and the most critical aspects for a number of our students, okay? The arts can be used as a jumping off point for so many topics. And since there is so much rancor and misunderstanding in the world, choosing the right piece of art to present, to grow with a student over or with a group of students over, to have a shared experience that is meaningful where they feel empowered and completely fulfilled by that experience are the things that we should be working more towards as educators. And having that platform, being able to speak at conferences and meetings and sometimes what those like think tanks and things like that, having those opportunities to share are, have been the things that have been the most satisfying and the most rewarding and really the, one of the best outcomes of what we're able to do with that. And so, yeah, that's how, it, that's how it's changed me is using those things as a forum and as a jumping off point to talk about the things that I think are really important about education. I love that. I lo and I love what you said. And I, I know it was intentional, but you may not have even realized it came out of your mouth, but the things that you learn and grow with your students. Mm -hmm. And I, 
I could not agree with that more. Um, mm-hmm. My experience working with my students then and now learning mm-hmm. alongside them and growing as an artist and an educator with them. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably some of the most meaningful moments I have in my career. You know, a friend of mine used to, um, my friend Lee Chancy used to say that real education begins with the question that a student asks you that you weren't planning for. That's where I think that for, as arts educators, specifically for you and I as theater artists, those moments happen pretty much every day because something transpires in, in rehearsal, something transpires in class, a scene presentation that occurs that spurs a conversation that requires examination and reaching into your own experience and being completely honest and being very forthright about your pain, your wisdom, and in many times, your own ignorance about a subject matter. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are the things where we grow and we learn. That's so true. As busy as you are and as crazy as your world is, how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> um, if you notice, you can't see anything below my shoulders. <laughs> ain't a whole lot of care. But, um, but in all seriousness, what happens is one of the best things for me and one of the best aspects of something that uh, happened for me as a kid was growing up when I would, if I ever said to my mother, I'm bored, her response is go read a book. Because you can, if you are bored, you can travel just about everywhere you want to. You can engage your brain in a way that is so completely different than going outside and bouncing a ball or now these days turning on a computer and logging into a game or going through and scrolling through a bunch of uh, silly internet videos. And I find that that is still something that sustains me today is uh, the thing that I am most proud of is my office that's filled with books, uh, filled with novels and filled with uh, biographies and things like that. So a part of my self-care comes with that. Another part of my self-care is I really do try to dedicate 11 months of work, of real hard study work. And I will double up and I will do a show I'll have a show going at school, a show going with another theater company, and I'll go, go, go. But I specifically will take a, about four weeks that are mine. I don't have to travel anywhere as much as I love to. Shoot, I'm broke all the time. So I can't always afford to do that. But I try to make an oasis here at my home. I'm lucky enough to have a pool in the backyard. I'll swim every day. I'll come in, me and Wayne Brady will have a date every morning at 10 to watch Let's Make a Deal. And I'm able to decompress that way. Mindfulness and spending time at the end of every day before I try to lay my head down to go to sleep and not think back on the mistakes. Instead, what I do is I stop and I smile and I try to think about the things that I did well that day and trying to focus that way. It's hard to do though. Mm-hmm. It it's is. hard, but it, it takes that conscious, it that conscious decision to do that. Yes. And your mind will race and you will do all kinds <laughs> of stuff and you'll be looking at all the things, all the mistakes that you've made and all of the, the things that you had wished you had said to somebody. And, you know, you like look for, wow, what did I miss when I said that I was willing to do this and this and this. And so, yeah. Yeah. 
What what is a resource that you are currently using that is a must have for theater teachers? Mm. There is an app that I 100% love and believe in that helps me with every single show. And it's, they changed the pricing on it so that it's not as expensive as it used to be. It's called Stage Right. Mm -hmm. Do you know that one? I do, I'm familiar with it. I love Stage Right. Uh, I think that it is one of the best ways, especially if you're doing a show that's got a whole bunch of people for shifting people around on stage and doing all of that. It is so worth it to use that. At school, I love, 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 and I was talking with, and she teaches at Belmont Abbey College. I was talking with this director and I said, why aren't you using Empty Pit? He's like, what? What is that? And I'm like, look, every one of your cast members, if they have a smartphone, they can download every single track from the show on it. They can be, they can rehearse, they can do that. I can go into rehearsal without an, uh, an accompanist and literally run an entire read through, or excuse me, like a run to an entire run through of a show just using my, my smartphone and speaker. It is such a wonderful resource and it is so well worth it because especially with something like Empty Pit where they even record the um, scene change music, I hand that to the tech director and to the techies and go, okay, you've got nine seconds. You've got this much music, do it, okay? And nothing drives me crazier in a show than when the action stops, mm-hmm. especially for a, for a scene change. Or when I've seen those shows where literally the orchestra has to play the same song three times or four times over because I'm in, of an inefficient scene change. So. Those are, that's really has helped me with my biggest pet peeve in directing a show. We used it all the time mm-hmm. uh, at South Point when I, when I was directing there. So I, mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly endorse that one with you as well. Mm-hmm. Stay Bright and Empty Pit have made my life phenomenally easier as a director. And Empty Pit is not that expensive either. Mm-mm. In the grand scheme of your production, it's for mm-hmm. me, it was worth every penny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? $250 for just the rehearsal tracks? Mm-hmm. Well, my final question for you is mm-hmm. what, what are your parting words of wisdom for new theater teachers entering the field? <laughs> Run. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking for an hour. <laughs> Honestly, the, um, the biggest things is, A, mean what you say. Don't ever make a threat that you're not willing to follow up through on. That's first of all. Okay. Second of all, set your limits of, and your expectations of what you want out of that show and out of every child that's in that room. Number three, let them know, every one of them know why it is that they were chosen and what their function is within the grand scheme of telling the story and why it is that you're the one that needs to bring that to the stage. Number four, and this is the biggest one. Don't be afraid to show people your heart. There is so much educational jargon. And there are so many expectations of what, like, I don't know why it is that people think that teachers are robots, that we're not human, that we don't hurt, that we 
don't love, that we don't laugh, and we don't do those things. Okay, show them your heart. Let them know how important they are to you. Let them know sometimes when you're in pain. And let them know when you're celebrating joy with them. We're all looking for connections. And especially now than when I was started, first started teaching in the mid-90s, there are so many ways to cut off. And kids have this window to the world that is used as a wall between them. And it's that there. You know, I'm looking at the entire world, but I don't see what's right in front of my face. And to particularly theater, that is a way to create a human connection. And so use that opportunity, use that in a way that they can see the world through something other than their phone. That's mostly it. Other than that, find, understand what it is that you want to build, write that vision, make it plain to them that, you know, in five years, I want to do a big musical and I want to do this. But you are part of the building block to create a legacy so that we can get to that. And, you know, kids always want to know me, 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 now, 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 my, my, my. I want that role. I want this. Every year, I'll have a kid go, why'd you wait until I did why did you wait till I graduated before you did <laughs> name that show? And I said, and my response to them is always, I was able to do that show because you graduated from here and you helped me grow to get to that point where I can. So thank you. Even though you weren't on the stage, you were a part of helping to make this show happen. And so, yeah. That's great. Thank you. Well, Corey, I am very grateful for you talking to me oh, today. Thank you. And, Jimmy, um, I, I truly appreciate this invitation. This was a long time getting to where we could have this conversation. And I swear, I hope I said one or two things that make sense. So hopefully you can five minutes. Out of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have gathered stuff from it. So I am I'm okay. certain my listeners are going to enjoy it as well. So thank you so much. And I wish you, you all the best with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. I truly enjoyed my conversation with Corey. I had a wonderful time just chatting with him, uh, catching up and, and hearing his stories and his experiences so far. Corey is the first of the five Tony Award winners for the Excellence in Theater Education. This year's winner has just been announced, and it is a Virginia theater teacher, Madeline Michelle. I believe that's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L. Um, so I'm excited to hear her story. Uh, you can check out her, um, a little bit about her on playbill.com. That article just came out. Um, but you can also tune into the Tony Awards on Sunday, June 9th, uh, on CBS, hosted by James Corden at Radio City Music Hall, uh, to hear about her as well as all of the other award winners from the 2018-19 Broadway season. I know I will be camped out watching it that evening as it is one of the highlights of my year. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, you can always find all of our archives of our past episodes, as well as transcripts of all the episodes, including the resources that each teacher has recommended on our website at www.thedtalks.com. You can find us on any of your favorite podcast providers, Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Google Podcasts on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, AnyPod, TuneIn, and YouTube. You can always reach out to me and contact me if you want to give me any feedback, any suggestions for show topics, or if you'd like to appear on the show as a guest, email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks. You can find us on Tumblr at fedtalks.tumblr.com, Facebook, Fed Talks, Instagram at Fed Talks Podcast, and again, our website, www.fedtalks.com. 
please go on your podcast provider, subscribe to the show, rate us, give us some stars, review us, tell us what you like in and what you would like to see us do. And then, of course, share the podcast with those theater teachers and theater students who you think could benefit from what I'm doing here on the show. I'm Jimmy Chrisman. I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you today. I, uh, I want to thank Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman for the use of their original song, Magnetize. And uh, most of you have either wrapped up your school year or you are in the very, very final hours of wrapping it up. So I hope you have had a wonderful school year. I hope you have a wonderful summer planned ahead of you. And uh, we probably have one or two more episodes in us before we take a summer break and we'll be back in August. Thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week.